Friends, it's uh, fantastic to declare the, the good news that we hold to together through song. And tonight we're going to be thinking about uh, God's purposes. We've called this Captivated by God's Purposes. Next week, as you see in the banners, we start a launch series called Captivated by Christ in the book of Colossians. But today, what are our purposes? And let me say right at the beginning that I love God's church. Uh, the church is more than a building here that you gather. It's more than an organization. It's more than a person. It's more than simply Sunday. The church is a group of missionaries, a family of believers, the body of Christ, a population of diverse individuals. And we come from all parts of the world and all ages and experiences. And God puts us together into the church, his body, to do his work in this place. So the ministries, services, and programs of our church rely on the body of Christ, individual people working together for the common goal of magnifying our great God and Saviour. Now, we say right at the beginning that church is not a spectator sport. We are a team, we are the body of Christ, called to play our part in God's mission. We are men and women who ought to be captivated by God, his beauty, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, his resurrection, new life in Jesus. We'll be so captivated by God and all that he has given us that we want to engage in fulfilling his purposes for us. And today we stop, say, God, impress those truths upon our hearts, upon our minds, that we will make a difference for you in 2023. Our vision is to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's what we're on about, to see men and women, boys and girls, meet Jesus, be changed by Jesus, that ultimately God gets the glory. And we talk about five biblical purposes in our church under our purpose statement. And the first one is magnification. Big word we often use. We say in our purpose statement, we exist to magnify God. Our purpose in life is not for our, to focus on ourselves, but to see men and women come to know how great God is and to follow him and to love him. King David in the Old Testament writes, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. See, it is a mark of all true Christians, true people of God, that they delight in lifting up God, helping other people to see how good and great and uh, powerful God is. So I ask you, do you love singing praises to God? Love singing these songs tonight. Is there deep joy in your heart when you think about God? Because if there isn't, you won't magnify him. If God doesn't bring you joy, you're not going to glorify him. You won't direct all attention to him. But if he is your everything, then you live for his glory. Is there a passion in your heart to lift him up? Well, there was in Psalm 40, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to have a bunch of people at school and something happens and you think, God is so good. Or you're down on a football field and you're able to share the gospel with someone and think, God, you are so great. Or you pray for someone and, and God answers the prayer and say, God, you are so beautiful. Where out of our lips come the words, God, you're great. God, you're merciful. God, there is no one like you. There's no God like you. That's what the psalmist is saying. We live in such a way as that we cannot help but saying, great is the Lord. Or Psalm 34, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So that's a call as we gather tonight. Let's magnify the Lord. Let's lift him up. My friends, we know that uh, 
magnification or glorification of God, praising God, is more than simply our songs, more than simply our words. The Bible says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. How you study, how you treat your parents, parents, how you treat children, how you treat someone in, in the shopping centre who uh, you're buying goods off, how you treat your neighbours, how you eat, how you drink, should be done in such a way as that people see the glory of God. The Apostle Paul was uh, in jail. He was under uh, house arrest and uh, didn't know whether how long he, um, he would live. But he writes these words, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will, shall not be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, in my life, I want to live in such a way that people see the beauty of God. He says, if I'm about to die even in my death, I want to die in such a way as that people think, wow, this person believed in a powerful, loving God. Maybe I want to know more about him. There have been many funerals that we've done here of Christian believers. And people who are non-Christians or people who are not used to going to church, maybe irreligious, they don't quite know how this all works, this Christian thing, will come to me afterwards and say, I've never been to anything like this in my life. There is a confidence and a hope in God that gives you hope in the midst of your grief. See, we want people to say in this church, not what a great preacher you are, or what a great singer you are, or what a great pastoral carer you are, well, it's always good to encourage each other, but rather what a great saviour you serve. We do ministry in such a way as people think, wow, tell me more about Jesus, will you? He changed your life. Can you tell me about him? I've seen believers on their deathbeds bringing glory and honour to God. I, I visited a guy once. He was uh, in his 70s, didn't have long to live. And I thought I'd go and encourage him, but he encouraged me. And um, he said a lot of his non-Christian friends would visit him and they'd say, David, you're, you're dying. He said, it's okay, I'm going to go to be with Jesus. No, you don't understand. You're dying. I mean, you won't live any longer. You won't have any breath. He said, it's okay, I know Christ. And he said to me, he said, Ange, as these people come, this is what he's thinking a few days before he dies. Ange, can you help me to share the gospel better with these people? Because I want them to be ready for eternity. Living for the glory of God in your life and in your death. Paul says, I want to be like that. The Apostle Peter writes, thinking about how we use our spiritual gifts, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Why? Why do you serve? Why do you speak? So that in all things, God may be praised or glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's our primary purpose. If you're new here and you think, what's Nawi Baptist? It's about showcasing the beauty and the greatness and the love and the mercy of our great God. And if people see that, we've succeeded in what God wants us to do. But we do also do that in four ways, specific ways the Bible outlines. Number one, membership. Our purpose statement says to magnify God by bringing people to Jesus and membership in his family. We believe that Jesus lived the perfect life. We believe that he died for our sins on the cross. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe Jesus ascended into heaven. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And that he is now building his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, Hades, will not prevail against it. God is going to do his work and he's building his church at Nawi Baptist. More people getting saved and more people going out in mission to see more people saved. That's what God is on about. But it's interesting in Acts chapter 2, 
when Peter preaches the gospel after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. It's a miraculous day, Acts chapter 2. The church has been waiting for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to empower men and women for the work of the gospel. Peter then preaches. At the end of that, people were so cut to the heart, 3,000 people became Christians and were then baptised. Well, we celebrate when one or two happen, right? Imagine 3,000 in a day. And then what happened to them? They just go home to their homes and not bother with Jesus, just take the Old Testament and, and not gather with the believers? No. You know what happens? They were added to their number that day, Acts 2.41 says. They were added to the church. And it's really important, especially if you're new, Christianity is not about just you and Jesus. It is about you and Jesus, but when you get in touch with Jesus, become a child of God, he then puts you into a family. You are the body of Christ. We are God's building. We are God's people together. There's no place for solitary Christianity. We cannot say, I have Jesus and my Bible and that's enough. It's not enough. The Bible will not allow anyone to get away with that. The Bible says, if you really understand me, who I am, I put you together with other believers, brothers and sisters. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're in the word. And to fellowship. They're caring for one another. The breaking of bread, probably sharing the Lord's Supper together. And to prayer. As a result of doing the things that God wants them to do, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There are miracles taking place. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they were generous in the use of their resources. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were in the religious place meeting like we are here. But they also broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sea hearts. See, they didn't simply just gather on a Sunday. They met in homes like we do with home groups. Or they had people over for meals. And when they gathered together for us today, whether in a home, or in a coffee shop, or in a restaurant, they're around the word, right? They're talking about Jesus. They don't just talk about the football. They're gathering to talk about Jesus and his great message of salvation. As a result, they were praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. People looked into this group of people, and I hope people look into this group of people here at Naui Baptist and think, man, what have you guys got? Why are you so different? Why is it you treat people with justice and with fairness and with generosity? Uh, you're not judgmental. You're not hypocritical. Why, what is it about you? People looked in, now enjoying the favour of all the people, and the Lord, notice this, added to their number daily those who were being saved. As the gospel was proclaimed, God changed hearts and brought them into his people. Sadly, the church doesn't always live properly, does it? You and I will make mistakes. I will let you down. You'll probably let me down. you let each other down. We sometimes say the wrong things. We gossip. We slander. We're judgmental. Sometimes we'll commit sins, uh, terrible sins. And there was a bulletin blooper that read, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. And sometimes, sadly, the church has helped to destroy people's lives rather than bring them life. We want to be a church that under God brings life, abundant life to men and women for his glory. God wants us to live in loving community, to share Christ's love with each other, to teach one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to grieve together when through sad times, to rejoice together through good times, to learn from each other. And friends, home groups are key for this in a large church. Block groups for teenagers are key for this. Small groups in homes or a church or wherever you happen to meet, where you gather together, 8, 10, 12, 14 people, where you share your lives together, 
where you study the Word together, you pray together. Because there are a lot of people here, and you can come week after week after week, and you learn and you grow and you have some relationships, but you won't grow into the depth of relationship unless you are connected to a smaller group. In my experience over the years, as well as doing those things in home groups, we, we've supported each other after the loss of family members. We've gone to funerals together, been to weddings together. We cooked meals for each other after accidents. We celebrated birthdays together. We wept over child, our children who have walked far from God. We prayed for each other through financial hardships. We celebrated at our children's baptisms. We studied the word. Friends, the church is not a social club where you just hang out with the people who are like you. The church is a family that God puts together and everyone has a place. One of the amazing things about church is this. As I look around you, we are a mixed group of people, right? Different backgrounds, different experiences. Some grew up in the church, some are new to the church. Uh, some are academics, uh, some went to university, some high-flying jobs, some just struggling in different jobs just to make ends meet. Some like the bulldogs, some like the dragons. You know, it's all types of things in sport. And God then puts us together with people who won't, you would not normally associate with and say, hey, your brothers and sisters now, your family, work it all out. That's why it's so hard at times, isn't it? God just brings us together and says, love one another. That's one of the beauties of God's church. Everyone is welcome. Everyone has a place, no matter where you come from. I urge you to be captivated by God's purposes, magnify him, and be an active member of his church. There's a new song we've been doing all day after uh, this part of, of the sermon. It's called A Thousand Hallelujahs. It was one of the top songs, worship songs in 2022. And uh, the band, I invite the band to come up as they prepare to lead us through that. And uh, it'll be new to you, but we'll get you up to sing and follow them. Some of you may know it by listening to it on radio and so on. But it's an opportunity to magnify God right at this point before we hear the rest of the sermon. So for those of you who just zoned out at the wrong time, tonight we are looking at the five M's that we think explain the purposes of the church. And I'm up here to talk about the third M, which is maturity. Now, I don't know whose idea it was to give the youth pastor the maturity M, but that's okay, we're here. Except, as I think about that joke, I think we've all had the experience of encountering people who, despite being very young, showed maturity beyond their years. And I'm sure that we've all encountered people who, despite being older, do not have that maturity. However, that is maturity in a general sense. And what I'm up here tonight to talk about is primarily what it means to have Christian maturity. And now, there are many places in Scripture I could go to to talk about Christian maturity, but I've been told that I have strictly seven minutes, and so I'm going to go to a shorter passage, which is Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16. And so, we're going to spend the next six and a half minutes in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16. Let me begin reading for us. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Now, just to start off with, this is not an exhaustive list, but the point here is that Jesus has given various gifts to the church, but for what reason has he given the church these gifts? We see that in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. We have a whole bunch of different gifts by everyone in this room. 
And what we are to do as the church, as the body of Christ, is to be actively using those gifts in service to the Christian community, but also to the wider community. Then in verse 13, we're going to keep using these gifts until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And how do we define that? We define that by attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So maturity involves complete Christ-likeness. Now, Christians were actually initially known as little Christs because a Christian was someone who in every way tried to emulate Christ. But how can we emulate Christ if we don't know what he was like or what he would do? Now, if I wanted you to all emulate me right now, it'd be pretty simple, right? I would say everyone lean to the left. No one would lean to the left, great. I would say everyone lean to the right. A few more of you would lean to the right. It'd be great. But if I said everyone close your eyes, yeah, seriously, close your eyes, how would you possibly be able to emulate what I'm doing? You have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. You can open your eyes now. Thank you for the five of you who actually closed your eyes, then I appreciate it. The rest of you saw the Macarena. Um, anyway, we actually do have a way to see Jesus. We have a way to emulate this person that we... We have a way of seeing this person that we're trying to emulate. And that is by reading about him in his very word, in the Bible. And this is a really good thing for us as Christians to do, because as we read, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of good, God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we can spend time in God's word in a variety of different ways. Obviously, we can spend it personally. We can personally spend time reading God's Word. Secondly, we can spend time in God's Word in small group discussions. Now, this is actually what we offer through home groups here at Nawi. Now, as a bit of a side tangent, earlier this week, I was reading a book by Tremper Longman. Now, this is probably one of the most well-known and respected people who talk about the Old Testament in the world right now. And this is what he was saying about the book of Genesis. We should test our understanding of Genesis by reading in community. We need to wrestle with the text on our own and then expose ourselves to the thinking of others. Indeed, we should seek out opinions of people who may have different opinions from our own. Why? Not because the text is flexible, but because different people will attend to different things in the text. Now, if that doesn't perfectly sum up what we are trying to do in home groups, then I don't know what else I could say. On to our third point. We need to be taught from those who have spent time truly trying to understand the text of the Bible, aka what we try to do every Sunday here at Nawi. And finally, several of you may have the time, the space, and the blessing to study God's Word in a more formal setting at Bible college or university. And this is something that I would highly recommend. And so those are four ways that we can see Jesus and therefore try to emulate him as we work towards Christ-likeness. Now, maybe you're not convinced about the importance of God's word yet. So let's return to Ephesians and read what verse 14 has to say. It says, If you reach Christian maturity, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, maturity involves theological stability. Now, Christians figure out their theology, which is just a fancy word for what we believe, 
by taking all of Scripture and seeing what it says on a topic and then putting it all together to figure out what we believe. However, if you don't know all the bits that your theology or your beliefs are based on, then you're going to be on rocky grounds. Now, certainly there are topics that we as Christians can disagree on. However, we cannot be like little children who are gullible and believe absolutely everything they hear. Mature Christians are those seeking to understand what they believe clearly, confidently, and securely. Now, hopefully what you're hearing from me is that trying to emulate Christ is a really important thing. However, you can learn about Christ through his word, but you can only be Christ-like as an active thing. It is how you think, it is how you act, it's how you engage with this world, especially when no one is looking. And verse 15 in Ephesians 4 reinforces this. It says, instead of being distracted by these false theologies, you will be speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So maturity involves truth combined with love. In the Greek text, it literally says truthing in love. Now, that is awful English, so we smoothed it over, but there's something about that literal translation which is really special, that really captures what we're trying to say here, which is that we do more than just speaking. Yes, we tell the truth, we maintain the truth, and we show the truth, all of them through acts of love. The truth must not be used as a club to bludgeon people into acceptance, but must always be presented in love. It is through our true beliefs and loving actions that we become mature. And I know that I personally need accountability for this. One of the hardest lessons I learned is that people will often leave a conversation with me remembering my demeanour rather than the exact words that I used. So, who are we accountable to? Maybe a home group leader has taken this role in your life. Maybe it is your peers Maybe it is someone who you formally asked to be your mentor. Whoever it is, I ask that you utilise this Christian community to keep you accountable for the ways that you go about truthing in love as we all grow in maturity. Finally, verse 16 says, From him, that is Jesus, the whole body, which is the church, is joined and held together by every supporting ligament It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, that means that our final point is that maturity involves contribution. Now, we're actually going to have two other people stand up here and talk about ministry and mission. But maturity will inspire you to ministry and mission. So, ultimately, our vision here at Nawi is to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. We're aiming for a complete transformation and maturity is central to this transformation. I want to end my time up here with Colossians 1.28, because it is my hope that we as a church can confidently say this verse. And this verse says that Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Nick is now going to pray for us. As we get ready to start our series in the book of Colossians, our prayer tonight will be guided by the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossians. So please join me in praying to our God and Father. Father in heaven, we ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We adore you as the only wise God and one who gives wisdom abundantly to us. 
Lord, we are simple. Be your word and your spirit make us wise. Father, we praise you for your Holy Spirit who you have given to teach us. We ask that in our weakness and foolishness, you would give us wisdom and understanding that we may know your will and obey you. Lord, we ask that you would be at work to transform our lives through Jesus Christ to your glory so that we may live a life worthy of you and please you in every way. We ask that you would give us knowledge of your will and empower us to obey your word so that our lives may reflect your character and please you. Lord, please be transforming our lives and others through the Lord Jesus. Let us be growing in maturity as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, depending on you humbly to bear fruit in our lives for the sake of your son. We ask that we would be bearing fruit in every good work. We pray for the ministry of this church, whether this ministry is formal or informal, planned or incidental. We ask that you would be bearing fruit in every good work. Please bear fruit through us as we labor for you. We know that we can offer only you righteousness, which is as filthy rags. But we pray that despite our weakness and inability, you'd be at work to bear fruit that lasts through our relationship with Jesus. Please impact your world and further the cause of your kingdom through our ministry so that Jesus is glorified and worshiped as he so richly deserves. Please help us also to grow in our love and knowledge of you. Please enable us to know and love you more and more each day. Help us to know you through the study of your word, time in prayer, and fellowship with your people. Let Jesus be our treasure and our devotion. Help us see his glory and goodness yet more and offer our whole lives as sacrifices in adoration of our teacher, savior, friend, and king. We ask that you would strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. Help us in our fallen world to have patience and deep love for our neighbors, our brothers, and our sisters. Help us to bear with one another in love and consider others above ourselves. Give us endurance and power to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let us humbly depend on you to deliver us from the world which crucified our Lord. Work through difficulties and afflictions to refine us, working for our good and your glory. We ask this with confidence, knowing that it'll be done. We give joyful thanks to you, our Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for cleansing us with the blood of your Son and for, and for adopting us as your own sons and daughters. We thank and praise you for crediting to us a righteousness that is not our own and not counting our sins against us, but rather bearing their penalty in our place. We thank you also for your work in this church. We thank you for the renovations which have been provided so graciously for. We also thank you for the resumption of regular ministries. We pray that you'd be bearing fruit through these in the coming year. We thank you for godly pastors and teachers at this church and with good theological foundations. God, please use these ministries to transform lives through the Lord Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. Thank you that we can praise and worship you in peace and for providing for us materially with such abundance. We praise and thank you for you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son you love. Thank you for saving us, for bringing us from darkness to light. We ask that you would save even more. Please empower us to be active in witnessing in our communities and please grant our friends, families and colleagues ears to hear and bring them into membership of your church if it's your will. We also ask for salvation among the unreached people in your world. As Lord of the harvest, please send more workers into the harvest. 
and bring those who have not yet heard the good news from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son you love. Please bring the good news to peoples who have not yet heard it, that you might be worshipped by people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. For only in Jesus can we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We confess that we are sinners, not saved because of any goodness of our own, but simply because you love us. You hate sin with a perfect hatred, so to you now we confess our sins. Take a moment to confess your sins to God. Thank you that you are just and faithful and forgive and cleanse us of our sin. We thank you for our precious Savior, Jesus, who shed his blood for our forgiveness, that we might know and worship you. We pray that we would be captivated by him. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Last Friday night, I was hanging out with a friend, um, and we got to talking about what my plans were for the next couple of weeks, and I mentioned that in a few weeks, youth group will be starting back up, so I wouldn't be free on Fridays anymore. And then the conversation kind of continued to where I was saying, yeah, every Sunday also, I'm at church, and then another night of the week, I go to home group as well. And I could see the gears kind of turning in his brain as he was putting this together, and then he asked me, like, why do you do that? Like, that's a lot of your time, it's a lot of your life, it's three out of seven nights a week, like, why do you do it? And I was a bit taken aback of the question at the time, but I think it's worth asking. Why do we do it? Why do you do it? Why do you show up on a Friday to lead kids club or youth group? Why do you wake up early on a Sunday and come lead kids church? Why do you give up your Sunday afternoons to cook cheap eats or make coffee or do band rehearsals? Why do you put on a lanyard and stand at the door handing out bulletins? My hope is that the answer to that question comes from this, to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. It's our vision, it's our heart, it should inform how we live, how we engage with one another, how we serve one another. And one of the key manifestations of this vision is ministry. As those growing to be more like Christ, to be transformed by his grace, we're going to serve one another. That's just the natural outflow of following Jesus that we we care for one another, that we serve each other. And there are so many ways that we do this. That's the beauty of church. We have different gifts, different skills, different passions. Paul says in Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God has gifted us all in different ways, and whatever we've been given, we use that to serve each other. I love how simply it's put. If you can teach, teach. If you can give, give. If you can make morning tea, make morning tea. If you can open your home to people, open your home. It's that simple. As we seek to live out this vision of being people transformed by Christ, We become people who use the gifts and capacities that we've been given to love and serve people. And by doing this, we're united. Yes, we all have different gifts, and we use them in different ways and in different ministries, but we're united in our purpose and in our vision. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts and abilities that each of us have been given is not for our own benefit. It's not to build up ourselves, but it's to build up the whole body. We're called to use our gifts to serve others and build up the church. And what a blessing it is to be in this community of people who are so willing to serve one another and to serve one another for that common good. And this should be our joy. Serving others, yes, it blesses them, but it should also be a blessing for us as well. When Paul writes to the churches, to these communities of believers that he's so invested in, their growth brings him joy. 1 Thessalonians 2. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Being in ministry, serving people, serving alongside people, it shouldn't be a burden, it shouldn't be discouraging, it should be encouraging. It should be our joy to see others loved and cared for and growing more and more into disciples of Christ. One of my favorite examples of this that happens here at Nawi is Holiday Club, where we don't only have people who are leading and serving kids, there's also people who build things and set up, people who bake food and chop fruit, people who organize crafts and games, people who sing and dance and clean and pray. It's such a wonderful display of the different members of this church from all ages and with all different gifts and skills coming together for that common good, for the work of the gospel to be on display to our community. And it's joyful, isn't it? There's joy in serving together, in working hard, and in seeing God use the people of his church to bear fruit, to glorify his name. And if you're not sure maybe what gifts you have, how God is at work in you, or not sure where you can serve, but you'd like to get involved, then maybe put something on a care card or speak to one of the pastoral staff. If you want to figure out what your spiritual gifts are or where God can use you, we would love to facilitate that journey for you. And for a lot of us right now, we're signed up for ministries that are about to kick off again for the year. And that's awesome. It's so exciting. The beginning of a new year, it offers a lot of anticipation, a lot of hope, a lot of opportunity. And I do hope that you're feeling refreshed from this break and ready to go into this year, encouraged by the Holy Spirit to serve and use your gifts faithfully throughout this year. But to finish, let me leave you with some words from Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the ways in which you have gifted all of us in so many ways. I pray that we'll be a community of people who are devoted to one another, who honor one another, and who serve you in everything we do. Amen. Amen. And as we serve others in ministry here, we're then propelled, right? We're propelled on God's mission, the mission that he sent us on. And that's our fifth M. Not necessarily the final one, uh, but the fifth one uh, that we're on about. Now, the thing is that God is on a mission, right? Our God is on a mission. And God is on a mission to redeem this whole world, to redeem creation, uh, to redeem humanity. A mission that is about seeing people come to know and experience Christ, to experience his kingdom. We can't articulate that at church. We've heard it a lot tonight. Seeing life transformed through Jesus to the glory of God. Now, one of the absolute amazing things about our God, there's heaps of things that are, but one of them is that he doesn't need us in this mission. He doesn't need us. 
but he chooses to allow us. He chooses to invite us and equip us uh, in this mission to the world. Now, I have three young children. Many of you will know that. Uh, my two eldest daughters, on occasion, love to get involved with the cooking. Now, when they want to get involved with the cooking, it's usually struggle street in a lot of ways. It takes longer. It's more painful. Uh, they, uh, they make a big mess. I'm a terrible cook, but I can do it a lot better than them. But it, at the same time, I love to involve them. I want to see them uh, join, see them grow, see them learn how to do it. It brings me joy when I like, lift one of them up to get to the top shelf, and they're so, they're so much part of it. They, they eat dinner so much better because they've contributed. This is similar to what God does with us. He chooses to use us. He chooses to incorporate us into his mission uh, in the world, even though he doesn't need to. Now, Chloe has really helpfully taken us through what our fourth M, which was ministry. And if that was primarily focused on how we do things together, united in the church in this space, in our relationships, our programs, our events, when we think of mission, we cast our eyes and our hearts beyond here. We cast our eyes and our, our hearts beyond 39, 33 to 39 Bowman's Road. Because we're about alerting people to the rule and reign of Christ. And as we alert people to the rule and reign of Christ, we do it with our words, uh, we do it with our actions. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we're Christ's ambassadors. We are his emissaries. We go as his people in the world. We go about living out the values of his kingdom. And as we do that, as we go about seeking justice in the world, as we go about loving others, we do it as Christ would do it. And we do it in the hope and the prayer that people would come to know Jesus. They would accept his loving invitation to forgiveness, to have faith, to repent, to follow him. And in Jesus' final words that he gave the disciples and extension to us, uh, he says this, we know it as the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And as you're going, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, that is our mission. We are about that mission. See, a Christian is a disciple who goes and makes disciples, disciples who make disciples. This is our God-ordained, Christ-commissioned, Spirit-empowered mission that you and I are on. And we're on about this mission both globally and locally. Globally in the sense because every person of every tribe, every nation is equally loved, made in the image of God, in need of the gospel of Jesus. And so we partner with and we support gospel workers from around the globe, uh, from here or from other places that we get connected with. And they're going to be, go to other places in culturally appropriate ways to live out those values, whether it, and to, to share Christ with them whether that's Asia or Southeast Asia, Central Asia, into Middle East, into Africa, into Europe. Uh, you might know the Warrens. We've been raising support for them. They were here this morning. Um, they've just reached full support. They're going to go in two weeks' time. We praise God for that. And so we want to support them and all those that go overseas. Encourage them with word. We pray for them and we give to them financially. We invest with our money, with our prayers, with our time because we want to see the kingdom of God grow, people to come to know Christ. And you and I are on mission locally. Locally. The nations are here. So we support people that are going to Outback Australia, into the universities, all that kind of stuff. But also, as Ange alluded to and said at the beginning, 
all of us, in some way, shape or form, are missionaries. Because in the suburbs that are around us, there are people who have rejected Jesus, there's people who have forgotten him, there are people that don't know him yet. And our mission is to graciously, with love and with wisdom, reach them for Christ. And all of that, every time, this, the purpose of mission, all the purpose that we have must be centered and fueled on prayer. It's got to be centered and fueled on prayer because if without that, it's futile. If we're not praying, we're kind of saying it's dependent on us, then it's our mission, we can do it in our own strength. But it's not that at all. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, to kind of paraphrase what he says, he says, some people go, they plant churches, other people see them grow. But in all things, God brings the growth. All of this is God's mission. We're a part of it, but it's his mission. So we are asking him to use his power to work in the world in and through us for his glory. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 38, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Friends, hear the words of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but the words are few. The workers are few. We are conditioned to believe that Jesus is irrelevant. We live in a culture that is saying it does, he doesn't really have any meaning to us anymore. He's old news, we're postmodern, we've moved on. Friends, that is not true. People, this world needs Jesus. That was the same with Adam and Eve's day through to when Jesus came through the Reformation to today. People need Jesus. They need his forgiveness, his life, life to the full hope for now and to eternity. That's why he came. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again in victory for that. People long for, they need what only Jesus and his church can offer. And we're part of that. You and I are invited to be part of that mission. So you want to be part of something that is incredibly, incredibly important, yet almost impossible. That's what God has called us on. That's the mission that he has to this world. Christ has gone before us. He's equipped us for the task. He's given us each other. So in 2023, we live out all these purposes. We're sent out by Jesus. We're empowered by the Spirit on God's mission for his glory, for our good, and the blessing of the world. Let me pray. Father, Son, Spirit, Lord, we love you, but more than our love for you is your love for us and this world. And so as we seek to live out your purposes that we read about in your word, as we're empowered by the Spirit, uh, please go before us. We ask that you use us to your glory in all the things we do. Uh, may we go with the love of Christ, uh, empowered by your Spirit. Help us to be gracious to one another, uh, loving to this world. And we long to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to see lives transformed through you, Jesus, to the glory of God. So we lay this at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen.